Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 5, which is titled Ghosts. The episode aired on October 31st, 1996. Very spoopy. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well, unfortunately, we don't have any good Halloween news for this day, Dang. but... The New York Yankees defeat the Atlanta Braves in six games to win the 1996 World Series. Oh. Sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sleepers, starring Kevin Bacon and Robert De Niro, is the number one movie at the box office. And Macarena by Los Del Rio is the number one song for its 14th and final week. Woo. Hey, Macarena. Oh, the the song coming next week is... Is quite the doozy. It's oh, quite no. the '90s doozy. Is, I'm ready. Is it going to make us pine for the days of Macarena, like uh, or Boys possibly. to Men? Quite possibly. It's one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Oh no! I might love it then, because I'm a sucker for bad '90s songs. So we'll find out. Oh boy. But Daniel, what else is on this week? Yeah, continuing our little mini segment from last week. Uh, the abridged version. I'm not going to. So we've decided that I'm not going to go through the plot summaries for each one of these episodes unless it's something really, really important. Um, we will highlight those. But for the ones like this where it's Halloween, they're probably not going to put on much uh, of any kind of significance, really. So for eight, at the 8 p.m. slot, you've got Friends, the episode titled The One with the Flashback. At 8.30, you've got The Single Guy with The Love Train. 9 p.m., Seinfeld had The Fatigues. And at 9.30, suddenly Susan had Lie, Lie, My Darling. Basically all Halloween-themed episodes, you could probably imagine. Uh, this week, you've got 31.1 million viewers tuning in to this week's episode. The episode is directed by Richard Thorpe, directing his third of 31 episodes that he would do throughout the course of the series. Uh, pre- previously, he had done uh, Fevers of Unknown Origin and The Right Thing. Uh, the, this week's episode is written by Neil Baer. This is his seventh of 18 episodes that he would uh, write over the course of the series. Ones we've talked about previously include The Match Game, Hell in High Water, Full Moon, uh, Full Moon Saturday Night, The Gift, Blizzard, and Chicago Heat. So I think we're seeing a pattern developing here that I think Neil Baer might be a mark of quality. Like, um, Can I just say all of those episodes feel like an eternity to go as far as our recaps have gone? <laughs> Especially Blizzard. Like, Blizzard feels yeah. like a long time ago. Where has the show gone? Oh, my gosh. Um, into our hearts. Into our hearts. But, yeah, so we open this week with the previously on ER recap done by Gloria Rubin this time. So I have a question for the class with these. Do we want to keep track of how many times people do these? I think it would be a little hard to keep track in our notes the way we have them structured. Fair enough. But if we if we see a clear contender start to appear as we because okay. we have them written down each time, so Fair if we start to see a pattern emerge, we'll note it. But okay. conveniently enough, the episode opens with uh, Jeannie going into someone's house. It's clearly Halloween. She's followed by a bunch of children in costume, and it's Al's house. And he jumps out, scaring all of them with an arrow through his head. Classic Al. Um, what, a, what a winner! She's there because they're applying. Because okay, so is it? They don't do they live together in this house? I don't think so. I don't no. think so. I think Al is living there okay. still and Jeannie's like renting an apartment. Okay, or something. so Al's taking out a second mortgage, presumably because of the financial difficulties presented by his medication costs. Mm-hmm. And Jeannie's helping helping him out, so she needs to go over there because Al couldn't understand some of the language in the mortgage contract. And, you know, they're all this stuff's due to the bank by ten AM tomorrow morning. So of course she has to pick up the slack and work on the mortgage papers during during her shift and i think part of it also is because they're still technically legally married ah yeah so their tax information is going to be together and Mm -hmm. she's gonna have to report some things on there as well they're separated not divorced right so go al really really wait until the last minute for that making genie's life real easy al is the gift that keeps on giving Mm -hmm. i liked his costume though i liked the the arrow through the head it's very it's it's simple yet (laughs) effective yeah uh, so we go from there to the ER where we see Carter and Gant talking about Benton's evaluations of their performance. Uh, Gant is none too happy with his evaluation. Carter kind of knows the drill at this point. Carter knows what a Benton evaluation looks like. So he's just sort of like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, but they walk up to the admit desk and we see Jerry in a giant kangaroo suit, but he's not able to wear the head because it's too hot and itchy. And I just love that we're carrying on the Jerry continuity with the kangaroo thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, <laughs> mm, it's the little things you treasure. Uh, Lydia is also there dressed in some kind of old timey, like made 
little Bo Peep thing. I don't know what I don't know what you want to call what Lydia. Just it's, lots lots of lace. Yeah, lots of lace. Very, very ornate costume. Uh, Jerry is also carving pumpkins because he is a precious baby. Uh, we also see Carol, who's running late for an appointment, has to run, and uh, but she does mention that she'll be coming back for a ride on the health mobile later. And oh boy, I can't wait for the health mobile. <laughs> It's it's a doozy, uh, but the power starts flickering, and you know, obviously, it's a Halloween episode, so we gotta we gotta up the spook factor a, a little bit, as much as you can on a medical drama. Really, uh, the power is flickering, and it's gonna be a running theme throughout the entire episode. And all of the nurses are ever like, "Oh no, it's the ghost up on the fifth floor that that uh, bit a lab technician." What? Which is so funny because then they're like, ghosts don't bite. Yeah. But yeah, so they talk about like all the different like myths surrounding this ghost on the fifth floor. Yeah. And Carrie chimes in that it's like, a, it, you know the ghost is there because you feel a rush of cold air go straight through you. Hmm. Yeah. And, and they're all interrupted by a man in a clown suit running in screaming that his friend has been shot. You know, normal urban ER things. Yeah, totally. And then from there, we get Mark and Doug are discussing Susan's inevitable return. She's due back at any time to the ER. And Mark is currently putting together a mug full of orange carnations. To which Doug's like, really? Orange carnations? (laughs) All right. That's also going to be a through line for this episode. No love for the orange carnations. Um, And then the friend of the clown that was shot is dressed as Frankenstein. And they are working on him in the trauma room. And there's the spooky lightning as they work on the guy. Um, And as this is happening, Gant is trying to get, I believe, a chest tube in. Yeah. And he's like, this spot, and then this spot, and then this spot. And Benton's like, do you know what you're doing or not? Gant goes, yes, I'm just confirming. If you have to keep confirming, then you don't know what you're doing, which I thought was a slap in the face because he says it in front of everybody. And then, so he's like, I got it, I got it. And they they start cracking him open, and the guy sits up while they're doing it. Ah. And he doesn't just sit up; he sits ah. up and does the Frankenstein arms, <laughs> which is fucking fantastic. And so then they sedate him, and he falls right back down. And it's just so great. And Carrie just goes, "Happy Halloween, everybody!" And then from there, we go in with some spooky bangs, with some thunder and lightning mixed into the theme, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah, I love this so much. Like, this is incredible. It's it's an excellent goof. Yeah, like this, I, no. no, no, you're not a fan. No, no, no. This is one of my worst. This is one of my worst nightmares. Is waking up during the middle of a medical procedure where I'm oh, cut open. Well, yeah, I mean that. So it's just that's no, that's no, not great. No, but just no. from the standpoint of Halloween theming, like be- oh yeah. It's it's a nice spooky scare fun Goof. fun thing, yeah. but no, it terrifies the absolute the concept ever terrifies the absolute ever loving shit out of me. Then and then it works both as a Halloween goof and as a spooky goof. It's true because it scares you, so it's great. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really silly. I'll take Treehouse of Horror. Thank you. Uh, but after the intru- after the spooky bangs, uh, <laughs> we go over to uh, Carol. She is uh, headed into Malcolm X Community College, which is uh, near the. It, near the United Center uh, for anyone keeping track of Chicago geography. And actually, fun fact, the building that they go into here was demolished, I believe. Shit, I forgot to look it up. I got it. I think it. it was demolished in 2015 or 2014, and completely they completely redid most of the buildings in that, on that hmm. community college campus. It's one of the a network of community colleges around the city of Chicago. So, yeah, that, that oh. building was an iconic building right across from... Uh, the United Center for quite a while and is no longer there, unfortunately. 2016, 2016. it sounds like. Okay. Uh, but Carol's had there. Uh, Carol's headed there uh, for a pre-med physics 101 class and she gets there late because, you know, she's a nurse in an ER. Of course, she's not going to be on time fully, everything, but the, the instructor tend, calls her out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets assigned a young gentleman by the name of William, who is in high school, and says she has a neat costume for a lab partner. <laughs> so then we cut from there back over to the ER. We see a again. They're, they're, they like to hammer home the theme here, the the Halloween theme. We have a gentleman at the admit desk dressed as the Tin Man, who kind of like taps on his chest and says his pacemaker is acting up. Very blink and you miss it scene, but I I do appreciate the added. I, I... 
I like the layer of the, you know, Tin Man Needs a Heart. Oh, yeah. It's it's subtle. It's perfect. Like, we don't need to dwell on it. We just, it's, let it let it hang and, and keep it moving. Um, we also see Doug complaining that he's going to be on the health mobile assignment with Carol. So we're due for some Doug and Carol time. Uh, I believe it's Mark who says uh, that it's, you know, sorry, uh, you know, I tried to get you out of it, but it's Anspaugh's baby, you know, community access and all that. And we also hear that there's no word from Susan yet, but she's not due in until six. So that's another kind of through line throughout this episode. The return of Susan. I also love how Mark asks, like, any word from Susan? And Jerry goes, she's due at six. I will tell you if we (laughs) hear anything. Like, clearly this is not the first time Mark has asked today. Uh, But after that, uh, continuing with our thread over the last couple episodes of uh, Carter making Benton look like a fool by, you know, doing his homework. Uh, we have a scene that we have the audio for. Dr. Keaton is working on a baby with with Carter and Benson and asking them just, you know, some basic information about developmental milestones. You are getting to be a big boy, Reggie. Okay, developmental milestones. Dr. Benton, when do we first see a social smile? Oh, uh, three weeks. Dr. Carter? Mm, it's more like three months. Right. Using a spoon and fork? Seven months. Is that correct, Dr. Carter? Average, it's more like 13. Don't worry, Dr. Benton. Dr. Carter's just a lot closer to his peds rotation than you are. You'll just need to study up a bit, won't you? Here. Why don't you hold Reggie? (laughs) Okay, Dr. Carter, what's the problem here? Stranger anxiety. And what would you do? Reggie was clearly responding to you. So. Being able to keep a baby calm for examination is half the battle. Some doctors have an instinct for it, a natural affinity for children. Uh, You, Dr. Benton, might want to get some props. Nails on a chalkboard, folks. (laughs) Yeah. But that, I love the little coup at the end because it's just I feel I feel my head cannon is the little coup at the end and the baby saying damn right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that baby's a professional, okay? That baby knows when to hit its mark. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. That's an excellent yeah. point. Like that baby cried exactly when it needed to. That was impressive. Um, good baby work, baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just. Poor, poor Benton. Like, why is he even doing this fellowship? He hates children. No, it's because it's because Carter called it a couple episodes. It's, it's the prestige. most difficult, technically, yeah. front, like you know, in terms of, like the actual procedures. So of course Benton will want to challenge himself to do that. But you know, it's a beautiful not, day in the neighborhood. He's got to do his. Ho- he's got to do more of his homework. He's got to do more of the social homework. <sighs> which ooh, get some fun stuff later on this episode <laughs> with mm-hmm. uh, Benton not doing his social homework. From there, we get Doris bringing in a little old lady for Jeannie and Doy- and Maggie Doyle to work on. She has end-stage Lou Gehrig's disease, and Maggie doesn't think that they should treat her aggressively since, she, as Doyle says, she's a veggie, and Jeannie points out that DNR does not mean do not treat. So this is going to be their kind of bonding through line for the episode. Then we go from there up to uh, Anspa and Mark's meeting uh, up outside of his office. And Anspa is encouraging Mark to pursue research uh, in light of Carrie's successful study that she is uh, getting published. And in a lovely little bit of early to mid-90s war on drugs uh, paraphernalia, there is a giant poster on the door directly behind Mark and Anspa as they're talking. And it's literally just a big black poster that just says crack in huge letters. Like it doesn't seem to have any message on it. Like maybe don't do crack or anything. It looks like a tour poster for crack. Like it's just, (laughs) it's bizarre, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that. So I don't know how I missed that. I'm so upset now. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. Crack is bad. Yeah. Crack is bad. Especially crack. Don't do crack. Nothing good can come of that. Stick to weed. That's fine. Jesus. Okay, what happens next, Lizzie? Uh, but we go back to Carol. She's in her class, and she's clearly never taken a physics class before. I, you know. I can relate. Physics was my bane of my existence in college. I never took one in high school or college. I got to. Same. I got chemistry. I took multiple chemistry classes, but that was about it. I did chemistry not take chemistry. Too. Yeah. I had to take chemistry four times in order to graduate. 
Oof. I took human bio instead. From high school or college? College. For that one. Ah. I was. I had to. I had to stay behind an extra semester to finish chemistry so that I could graduate. I have nightmares about that shit happening. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so I get for ch- choosing an education major. Um, but uh, her, yeah, like as mentioned before, her lab partner is a high school student who, uh, at the high school that the kid goes to, they don't offer ap classes so he's at the community college taking physics instead of taking like an ap physics course that might be offered at a more well-funded assuming high school yeah keep that science shit away from me i was an ap english kid all day i was fine with i was fine with my uh, laid-back english four standard thank you very much <laughs> senior year honors and ap all the way for my english thank you very much um from there we get tina hargrove who is i believe eight year old that was part of a hit and run during trick-or-treating and we find out her dad got hit too so they're trying to get her stable in the trauma room and there are already films on the back whose films are these guys is it the ghost on the fifth floor did he magically put the films there whose films are they this is this is episode what the main main series episode number 52 i believe let me have this yeah 52 just let me have something. We're going to go for another 280 Who's Films I'm going to bring it up every time I notice it. Listeners, if it's bothering you, you're the ones who I care about. Tweet us wow. if you want me to wow. stop. This is, <laughs> wow. This is, Lauren, <laughs> this is Lauren's version of the what are those theme. Like, yep. who's are if those? You, <laughs> if you want me to stop being on Film Watch, tweet us. Facebook message us, let us know, and I will shut my mouth. Not for these two, but for you. Um, From there, we find out, oh, that's a tonal shift. The dad is likely DOA in the yellow trauma room, and the whole time, Benton is just barking at Ganton Carter tonight. He's just just being a jerk. Part of it's because Carter's shown him up, and he's just having none of it. Part of it's just because he's disappointed in himself, but he is just rude to everybody today during these traumas so then we go from there to what i thought was actually a little bit of a continuity or not not a continuity error but like a a logic error but it does get explained later so i took it out of my notes Uh, but we go back to our our little old lady our end stage lou gehrig's patient uh who we discover has taken a whole bottle of something in what is suspected to be a suicide attempt and uh genie says during the as they're working on it you know we resuscitate suicides all suicides Maggie Doyle, of course, does not agree with this. Um, and my so what I took issue with with this was, you know, if she's an end stage Lou Gehrig's patient, to me that would indicate that she would not have the motor function required to mm. swallow a bottle full of pills in order in an attempt to kill herself. Uh, because if you're an end stage Lou Gehrig's, like cognitively you're intact, but like most of the time, like they if they're end stage Lou Gehrig's, it, which is something that will come up in a future episode way down I the am line. Not- I am not ready for that episode. It's so good. It is, it's, I know. It's, it's one of my favorite episodes. One of the better episodes. Is that, is that the James Woods one? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, like, this comes up in that later. Like, they have to have assistance just to breathe. You know, the, the, right. the muscular contractions to breathe, much less swallow and things like that. So that was what I took issue with here. But like I said, there is a storyline explanation for it later in the episode that clears it up. But... That's kind of where we leave this for now. Uh, we will dig deeper, dig a little bit deeper into this patient and her background uh, as we go along here. Yep. Um, and then from there, we go back to Carter sitting with Tina Hargrove. And he is just so sweet with her. And he's just holding her hand because Benton was like, oh, well, you know, Carter, you're really good at this. You need to sit with her and, like, doesn't let him actually do any medical work. Carter is just kind of on babysitting duty. And while Carter is sitting with her, we find out the dad didn't make it. And um, she is not told this at this point of the episode. But Mark calls Carter over after they send Tina up for surgery. And Mark teaches Carter how to pronounce someone dead and lets Carter do it for the first time. Because I guess up until this point, he's called time of death before, but he's never actually pronounced someone dead. So... Which I don't know that that's really a distinction that they make too often in the show. Right. Like I, th- I feel like no. I feel like the pronouncing of of someone as dead really is just calling time of death for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Typically, but we should have asked Nurse Jen if there really is a clinical difference in how they do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Now after that, uh, Carol is back from her class at the community college, and she's headed for the health mobile. Can I help you? Oh, yeah, I'm Carol Hathaway. I'm on tonight. Gus Jackson, you're fine. Did you bring the cookies? 
Was I supposed to? The patient's kind of expected. You got any valuables? No. Good. Make yourself at home. Hey! 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 You're late. Yeah, I know. Uh, you bring the cookies. What? The cookies? Get in. Yep. Yep. Hey, Doug. Hey, Carol. I didn't know you were on tonight. Yeah, well, God knows I tried not to be. Okay, listen up. A few things you should know. If we come under fire, that back window pops out, and if anyone tries to steal anything, let them take it. Remember to stay clear wait, wait, of the cabinets. Bulletproof vest. I'm supposed to wear this? Remember to stay clear of the cabinets while we're moving, and sit down. Right. So they're in for a fun Halloween. <laughs> I love Gus. I want more of Gus on every episode ever. Ugh. Well, hope you enjoyed what you got, because this is I it. I figured. Yeah. Gus, uh, who's played by an actor named Ernest Perry Jr., who this is actually not his first appearance, believe it or not, uh, in the show. Uh, oh, really? Canonically, I can't tell. I can't specify whether it was also as Gus or, or not, but... Uh, Ernest Perry Jr. did previously appear in tr- the season two episode True Lies as a server at Vuselich's house party. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it's possible that Vuselich could have drafted people from the hospital to work as wait service at his house party. Or Gus networked through serving. Right. And, and got to a, meet hospital people. Yeah. Got a gig at the hospital. So, you know, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, I agree, though. I love Gus. I, I would have liked to have seen more of him. He's he's a lot of fun in his little appearance here. I do think they are stretching the definition of a mobile by calling it a health mobile, though. Like it's, yeah, it's a health is Winnebago. This, is this the one of the only episodes with the health mobile? I don't feel like this is around too long. No, I, it's, I think this, this is, is the only. Yeah, I think episode. this is it. I don't. I, if there is, I will be shocked if we ever see the health mobile again. The, That's what have, I thought. There are different like variations of community like, outreach yeah, community outreach yeah. done we're gonna, by we're gonna get uh, doctors we're gonna get carol's clinic eventually like yeah so I but mean, those are more tells more tend to be like localized like within the er like right. like yeah. carol's free clinic and yeah such so yeah this is uh i think a missed opportunity i think this this is something that could have been a really fun thing to go back to maybe once or twice a season right yeah, but, did you bring the cookies did you bring the cookies? I love the I cookies. Co- like, I love the running joke of the cookies. Like, it, it, I want cookies. I told you, I'll make you whatever you want. We <laughs> We've can... been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off, folks. These, <laughs> the cookies These keep finding times. their way in. Uh, <sighs> so, yeah. So, then we go from there. Another tonal shift. Uh, we meet Mr. Jennings, who is the husband of our uh, our little old uh, Lou Gehrig's disease lady. Uh, and uh, they're just kind of Jeannie and, and Maggie are just kind of asking more about her condition. And, you know, he, he mentions that her antidepressants don't really help anymore, which then in turn leads them to let him in on the fact that they kind of know that they suspect she attempted suicide. So, uh, you know, very, very sad situation. It's a very sad, somber storyline kind of mixed in with this very lighthearted, honestly, kind of funny episode. Like, it's a pretty funny episode. And mm-hmm. this is the one soul storyline that really doesn't adhere to that uh but mr jennings here is played by an actor named william shallert now this guy is our new i think leader in the clubhouse for most prolific actor we have ever had on the show period um i'm gonna Mm. do this like price is right style i'm gonna let you each have a guess and whoever gets the closest without going over takes it because i don't think either one of you are gonna get anywhere close uh, so whoever would like to go first, tell me how many credits you think he has to his name closest without going over wins. Okay. So we've had some with multiple hundreds. So I'm going to say 275. Okay. Lizzie's going 275. What are you saying, Lauren? If you say 510. Two- okay. Lizzie wins because Lauren went way overboard. <laughs> but- Damn it. I thought with the way you said it, it made it sound like it had to be something so Well, I mean, it is. Like- I mean, because I think our, I think our high watermark prior to this was somewhere in the neighborhood of like eh, 200 maybe 250 something like that mm-hmm. um, which is a ton don't get me wrong uh, but William Shallard here who appeared in movies like Inner Space, In the Heat of the Night, The Tarnished Angels and Pillow Talk uh, among many many others he's got credits dating all the way back to 1947 he has on IMDb 386 credits to his Jesus. name that is insane so, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, he starts working in 1947, and I think he had credits going all the way up till 2014. He died in 2016. 
So you're talking about like seven, almost eight decades this guy was working. It's incredible. But uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be a long time before we get anybody who has more than that. So 386 is the number to beat character actors. Get on it. (laughs) Anyway, after that, uh, Susan is back. Yay. Yay. Looking looking just as uh, fly as my grandma after a rainstorm. (laughs) Okay, I do love the hair wrap. Yeah, with with like the most old school plastic hair wrap ever, and everyone's walking her back very warmly. You know, as they do, as they should. You know, she's a she's a nice person. Back and, from vacation. Yeah, back from vacation. Uh, except for Mark, who is extremely awkward and doesn't know whether to hug or not. It looks like they almost go for a handshake. Yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, so Susan's back wearing a, a Hawaiian print shirt, which we'll find out is really funny for other reasons, but um. From there, we get Abby, Benton, and Carter are taking Tina up for surgery, and Carter chooses not to tell her about her dad yet because she's about to go under. So, you know, you don't want to stress a kid out right before. And Abby says, yep, that's really good instincts. You know, we don't want to do something that could delay treatment. We'll wait and talk to her afterwards. And then <laughs> she goes, oh, by the way, Peter, um, are you free later? I have some name of impressive surgery to do in two hours and he goes yeah i can be free and he goes good because i have a conflict and i was supposed to go trick-or-treating with the kids on the ward so can you take them <laughs> that's a bad <laughs> idea walked right into it peter uh we have you know the awkwardness continues between mark and susan as we find out that susan never made it to hawaii can't believe you never made it to hawaii hmm. turns out the fear of flying cannot be conquered Man, when we landed in Phoenix, the attendants had to carry me off the plane. The thought of getting on another plane was unbearable. Thanks. Anyway, Phoenix was great. Chloe is still sober, still working as a claims adjuster, six months now. And little Susie was fabulous. You know, she just... She made me laugh. Anyway, how are you? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Pretty bad, actually. Carrie's got OnSpot wrapped around her finger. I mean, he went gaga over her research project. He wants me to do one on pus. Pus? Not to mention the fact that he's practically given her the one and only 10-year slot. So I have no career, no future, you know. Really, I, I don't want to talk about it, okay? Sure, Mark, whatever. Uh, so you're hungry? You want to get something to eat? We can go over to Doc's. Oh, gosh, I ate the whole way home on the train. So there's a Halloween party tonight at the uh, Jazz Note. Thinking maybe if you're not too tired. Oh. Well. Hey, the whole staff's going. That sounds great. Great. Yikes. Where did these come from? (laughs) Some drug rappers giving away. Ugh, so much about this clip. Mark, my dude. Have some chill. Yeah, Jesus Christ, my dude. (laughs) And this whole time, Susan's drinking out of a White Castle mug. The hell. Product placement, my friend. I guess. Also, that's in reference to the orange carnations, that last statement that she made. So, of course, predictably. Because they're orange carnations. (laughs) Is there some actual through line with orange carnations that makes them terrible? Or do people just think they're an ugly flower and not romantic? Yeah, I I think it's just that they're shitting on them and that it's like... It's it's not a romantic flower. It it it, yeah. it kind of like it underscores the impotence of his gesture here, where he's he's not really yeah. in one camp or the other. You know, he's trying to play the middle of the road yeah. and failing. Like if we wanted to spruce up the the apartment with some color for in the winter months, sure, why not? But like, if I'm trying to like make something a little make a make a more a little more Kawumi. romantic of a movie, yeah, yeah, then. Go go for some roses. Go for some tulips, my dude. Come on, like orange carnations. Yeah, they're just a very like vanilla. They're old school. Yeah, this is very vanilla flower. Yeah, for a very vanilla man. True. Cool. Um, but yeah, and I love how he awkwardly is like, "There's a party later. I got a party." <laughs> oh, everyone's going. It's fine. <laughs> Jeez, come, Mark. I, you're my favorite. You're my favorite character in this entire show. Live up to it, my dude. I, th- I think the sooner we, you know, 
get her on the train and get her out of here, I think he'll get a lot better. Like, just because we won't have this hanging over our heads. For As sad as I'll be for Susan to be gone, I think it'll be for the for his benefit, for sure. The, so- the sooner he can start hooking up with Chuni. <laughs> That's sooner. right. The sooner we can get to that awkwardness. Yeah, the goatee's already come and gone. Yeah. That was that was prequel goatee. Like that was proto okay. that was proto goatee. We the the true evil has yet to reveal himself. Uh <sighs> so then we go from there to Doug and Carol uh in the health Winnebago and Carol drops her bag off the counter and her physics textbook falls out and Doug picks it up and he's like, "Oh, what's this?" and she's like, "It's my friends. Shut up." Uh, you know, like like it's drugs or something. Yeah. Right. And give it back. Yeah. So then uh, they arrive at their first stop and a uh, guy hops on. And just before just before the guy hops on, Gus opens the door with the charming line, welcome to gonorrhea land. Can I can I ask a question? With a 2020 lens, how did we feel about that statement? Uh, I mean, from a, like a purely 2020 lens, uh, obviously, it's not a very nice thing to say. From... I don't think it's a nice thing to say in 1996. No, it, it, it's well, yeah, not. But especially looking at how how much further dialogue about sex work has come in 2020. Yeah. To refer to a group of sex workers seeking healthcare as gonorrhea land. Yeah. Like I said, I, to me, I may, and this could be completely just speculation on my part, but like I feel like in a 2020, like if there was a mobile health thing through a hospital like not a not a community a true community outreach thing where they're doing it on their own time volunteering and all this other stuff but like through a hospital i could absolutely see a healthcare worker still having this kind of attitude in 20 oh yeah for sure like I, but oh, yeah. i'm just saying it was shitty yeah i mean but there you know it's like it, it's that delicate balance of like do we call out a line for being shitty because it's shitty versus showing an actual true to life scene of what what it would you know what would be said and what what it would sound like for healthcare workers in that situation i don't know well why not both true it can be a shitty thing for him to have said but those attitudes could still be prevalent very true this will this will be a pedantic hill i die on but as our as our first customer hops aboard uh it's like a you know looks again speculation on my part looks to be homeless comes aboard and immediately sits down and before uh doug and carol can even get out the first what seems to be the problem what can we do for you he just blurts out where are the cookies and i just i adore the cookie through line the cookie through line is one of my favorite things and we go with another huge tonal shift this time in audio form uh we have we find out more to the story of mr jennings and his wife is she in pain i don't think so first time in two years I love you, Sophie. I love you. This morning, she was different, smiling like she used to. She wanted me to comb her hair, help her with some lipstick. And she looked at me and said, I'm ready. She begged me. I counted them out, crushed them up, put them in some milk. I held the glass to her mouth. She said, I love you. And the next thing you know, She's asleep. But I got scared. Called the ambulance. Her whole life, she helped me. I wasn't strong enough to help her. I can't lose her. I can't. Hello, old couples and ER, my absolute kryptonite. Oh, yeah. Like I said, very sad through line in this otherwise very lighthearted and fun episode. But incredibly well acted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's there's a reason he got hired 386 times. Like <laughs> he was he was pretty good at it. <laughs> not 510? No, not 510. Uh sorry, kiddo. Yeah. So he basically just admits to helping assist in her suicide here. What did uh what did you all think about that in at first blush? I mean, 
I'm pro I'm pro that as a concept. So I was shocked to find out that that is elite or that that is legal in Illinois. Oh, really? Is it? Mm-hmm. At least according to hmm. what I read. Now that could have changed or it could have, you know, been misquoted. But what I read is that yeah. uh, assisted suicide is legal in Illinois. Yeah. No, but I'm a, I'm of the opinion that if someone is uh, like has a terminal illness like Lou Gehrig's or something and like there's just no quality of life left for someone and the person is of sound mind and wants you to wants to die. I think someone should absolutely have that right. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I just, I, I guess it's one of those things that's, it's so still so taboo, you know, on a cultural level that it was like, yeah, it was, and, and also too, it's another kind of quasi plot hole thing where I, when I watched it, I was like, I was like, aren't they like as hospital staff, aren't they like mandatory report people? Like if they hear about a crime being committed, no matter how compassionate it may be, don't they have to report it? But if it's legal in the state, then it's not a crime and they don't have to report it. So that closes the, like, it's, yeah. If it's legal, it's only been very recently from what my quick Google just showed. Yeah. It looks like there's stuff like there's been interest in the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah. I don't think back in 96 it would have been. No. Because I don't even think the Kevorkian stuff had happened yet around that time. But yeah, so I'm I'm all for it. It was a husband acting out of love and compassion for yeah. his wife that was suffering. Like, yeah, that's not murder. That's absolutely someone doing the ultimate act if, of if compassion she, and if love. she was cognitively reticent enough to request it and be a relatively sound mind, yes, extreme depression isn't necessarily sound mind, but it's part of her other illness. Right. Like I think I think that she was well within her rights to request it and he was well within his rights as her long term partner to aid her in comfort. Fair enough. Well, on that happy note, what happens next, Lauren? Um, from there, we go. Benton has taken Dr. Keaton's advice to go look for some props downstairs in the gift shop. And it is so funny because as he asks about this, the guy is like, oh, yeah, Dr. Er, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, we've got the little peekaboo pal and like puts a little animal in um, Benton's pen holder. And then he's like, or we've got the i cuddly kangaroo and or something and he he just keeps loading benton with more and more stuff and as this is happening and spa walks in and um he just goes oh yeah no shame um dr keaton sends all the residents who don't much like kids down here (laughs) like here you go it's fine you're clearly shitty with children have some toys and benton totally tries to cover it up and ansible's like nah it's fine fam we know um And then from there, we go back to the health Winnebago, and Doug is examining a woman who is assumed to be a sex worker, and after they're all done, she goes off on a little, don't I know you? She's like, I'm sure I know you. Don't I know you from this bar, on this place, at this time? (laughs) And he's like, no, you really don't. You're fine. Have a good day. Goodbye. Get out. And she's like, I'm just kidding anyway, and leaves. And it's like, we totally could have believed that Doug knew this woman. Um, and then right after she leaves, a girl a girl comes in screaming that she's been stabbed, uh, like oh my god, and everyone freaks out. And but nope, it's a joke knife. And hi, Kirsten Dunst, how are you today? Yeah, baby Kirsten say, Dunst, little, little baby baby Kirsten Dunst. This is like interview with a vampire, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, that's probably around close to the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think that was ninety. I don't know. I, I just love that yeah. movie, but she's a little younger in that, I think. Yeah, but yeah, very still very, very young here. She's probably still a teenager, for sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, first appearance of Kirsten Dunst as Charlie. This is her first of six appearances that she will make all throughout season three, I believe. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is Charlie. Other other notable movies of hers are uh, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movies, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man yep. movies, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. She was really uh. good in trying to think what else i know she's one of those people who's like in my mind she's in everything and yet when i look through her filmography i'm like maybe i only recognize her from like three things (laughs) like she's from spider-man one two yeah like there you go (laughs) she's a very famous actress but i don't know why i mean i do i mean she's a good actress but it's just like i don't know like the the filmography doesn't match up with my headcanon of her as an actress but uh she comes in she's asking for condoms and doug won't give them to her because she's clearly underage which doug Come on. That's not how this works. Come on. Uh, but she is also is assumed that she is also a sex worker and she won't tell them where she lives. So Yeah, her joke is like on a in a penthouse on 
Lakeshore Drive. Yeah. So Doug chases after her and hands her some and just tells her to be safe. What's which you know you don't need the judgment. Yeah. Just let her, let her live her life and help her and help her out. Help her out so she doesn't have have to live that life if she doesn't want to. Yeah. yeah. What's everybody's first impressions or or first memories when you think of the Kirsten Dunst Charlie storyline? Like honestly, it's this. I just remember. I remember the the knife gag. Yeah. She's one that I think is kind of a divisive side character. I feel like she's one, you know, she's kind of the, one of the Ewoks of, of the ER (laughs) universe where it's like, I think certain people really like her storyline and then other people are just like, Oh, I can't wait for this to be over with. As usual. I don't remember it. Have I seen this show before? (laughs) Who am I? Where am I? What's going Um, on? 2020. The world's on fire, but you're in love with me. Great. Awesome. And I don't remember the storyline. Yeah, but after that, uh, we go back and we learn more about the myth of the ghost on the fifth floor. Little Susie was so cute. She thinks the word for cactus is ouch. So we'd go on a walk and she'd point everywhere going, ouch, ouch, ouch. (laughs) Jerry, I've called maintenance four times. They're working on it. Oh, maybe it's the ghost up on the fifth floor. Not you two. It's a true story, Mark. He's up there. Poor guy, still pining away for the woman he loved. I thought he broke her heart. Broke his own heart is more like it. And how do you know this? Because that's the story. It was Halloween night, the 1930s or something. Up on the fifth floor, there was rain and thunder and lightning. He was a doctor, she was an intern. She loved him, didn't she? But a really wealthy, handsome patient had fallen in love with her and asked her to marry him. What did she say? She didn't know what to say. So. She told the doctor. What did he say? He said nothing. I thought he loved her. He did love her, but he just stood there. He couldn't get the words out. And then, after she walked across the room, she turned back and looked at him. She put her hand to her lips and blew him what would be their first and only kiss. They say it blew through him like a rush of cold wind. That is so sad. What happened? Unfortunately, the dock fell at the fifth floor window, so that's kind of it. I'm sure they worked on him in the OR for a while. Okay, so that last line there, Mark's little little joke about them working on him in the OR, I'm con- I am convinced that that was improvised and that they left it in because at 2753, just at the very end of, the, of that uh, clip there, Susan looks directly into the camera after he says that line and laughs, almost like, can you believe he said that? And then they just keep, they move on right from there. So I'm convinced that that line from Anthony Edwards was improvised. And honestly, good touch by him. It was perfectly done. The whole, the whole story is perfectly it's, done. It's so great. It's such a perfect, like, urban legend ghost story, just like some of the ones for, like, the Congress Hotel and stuff around here. It's, it's, it's well done and well acted by everybody. Because that's exactly how you talk about that shit with your friends when you're like, oh, and this happened, and maybe this, and, like, it's bullshit, but isn't it fun to be spooked? Ooh. Until it's not. And then the music and the thunderstorm going off in the yeah, background. The music yes. especially yes. is like A+. Plus. Yeah, Mark's face during the whole thing as Susan's telling it is ridiculous. He's like, this is such bullshit. Um, but then from there, we have Gant is searching for Benton. We'll find out why, but it looks like he's got a bone to pick. And Carter goes to check in on Tina after she's gotten out of surgery. And she's currently asleep, waiting, um, just sleeping off the anesthesia. And Dr. Keaton says for John to call her wow just now that i'm switching names that's gonna fuck me up dr keaton says for carter to call her when tina wakes up so she can tell her about her father and carter's just like oh you know i really feel like i should be the one to tell her so he takes responsibility for letting tina know that her father has passed good on you carter a good good carter growth episode like he's been more dr carter again this episode So then we have Doug and Carol uh, quickly talking about her uh, going to Malcolm X and Carol just kind of blows it off. She's like, it's just a physics class, Doug. And as they as they say that, they arrive to a guy riding around out on the street who has clearly been stabbed, actually having been stabbed, not Kirsten Dunst faking it, been stabbed. Uh, Everyone around says that they didn't see what happened. They're treating him in the pouring rain uh, when they also see a car drive by that's clearly uh, got full of guys with guns because we have to illustrate that, you know, it's urban and scary 
and and gangland yeah. and uh so gus says that he has called the ambulance that they will be there in 15 minutes uh and doug gets the idea says how fast can you drive that thing gus replies a lot faster than that ambulance so they're gonna take the guy <laughs> themselves so for some reason all i thought of was crazy taxi when he said that <laughs> yeah 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 moving right along uh on that happy note Ms. jennings has passed away mm. and her husband says i don't know if i was right or wrong this is not who we are so clearly having some regrets over helping her helping her having ended her life um yeah just sad storyline i don't know if i like it or not i like how gracefully it's handled and i think the um the kind of epiphany it gives genie and some of the emotional wherewithal it gives genie is really important yeah, yeah. so i think i think it works well as a narrative device and i think it's sensitively and well enough performed like it's not gaudy it's not over the top it's what it needs to it's be it's just a little tonally mismatched to the rest of the episode yes yeah. there's there's a lot of those 180s that makes it feel a little jarring but i think as a narrative device it works um but yeah as i mentioned i wish we saw more of gus as a regular with the health mobile cuz he's just he's just so sassy nothing in particular here but just we see him driving like crazy, trying to get them to the hospital, and Carol and Doug are still trying to stabilize the gentleman who's been stabbed. But nothing much else is going on in the health Winnebago right now. They're just trying to get him home safe. I like that we're just, we're just calling it the health That's Winnebago. What it is. I mean, sure. That's what it is. Yeah, no, but it's just... It's it's Daniel's fault. Yeah. What have you done, Daniel? <laughs> but after that, we circle back around. Uh, Gant does, in fact, have a bone to pick with Benton, so let's hear their... Let's, let's hear him air his grievances. Dr. Keaton asked me to tell you that trick-or-treaters are waiting. All right, thanks. And I have the journal articles when you want them. Mm-hmm. You write the post-op notes? Yes. Good. If you can, uh, pull the drains on the pyloroplasty. Why are you writing me? You're an intern. I mean, I bust my ass and you give me a mediocre evaluation. Well, most interns do mediocre work. I don't. Well, you could do better. So can Carter. So can everyone. Yeah, well, you have to do better. I have to do better. Is that because I'm black? Is is that your message here? Let me ask you something. When you applied to medical school, did you check the box? Did you check African-American? I worked just as hard as everyone else to get in. Yeah, well, that's not what most people think. They assume you checked the box to get preferential treatment. They assume you exist to fill a quota. No, if you want to prove them wrong, you have to work twice as hard, stay twice as late to be twice as good. You think I need you to tell me that? Oh, well, so we understand each other so we don't have a problem, none do we? Did you check the box? No. Maybe you should just tell people. That way you won't have to go around and keep proving it all the time. I love Omar Epps. Yep. Does anybody in this moment feel like our podcast is a little too white? I was white? just going to say, what, the, what do what do us <laughs> three white people have to say about this? <laughs> I love Omar Epps. That's yeah. what I'm going to yeah. say about that. Yep, we'll leave it at that. It was well acted. Yeah, it, yeah. Not my place to comment it, on the philosophy it of it. It gets the point across. The substance of that point is up to interpretation for the individual watching it, but uh, it, it's very well acted. So then Tina wakes up and, so sweet, reaches her hand for Carter and she asks, you know, because Carter's like, hey, I have something to tell you. And she asks, did my dad die? Is it my dad? Is he dead? And Carter's very earnest and doesn't try to pussyfoot around it. Just says, yes. Yes, he is. And I'm sorry. But I thought during this, you know, I've had surgeries before. I've been under general anesthesia. Telling her the minute after she seems to wake up for the first time makes no sense. Because she would be so foggy. And I wrote... Oh, no, I did write foggy in my notes. It looked like froggy because my glasses are fogging up. Um, but, yeah, she would be so foggy and so out of it that, like, she would not be able to accurately process the information he is sharing with yeah. her. Counterpoints. When I woke up from my anesthesia from my neck surgery, I remember ex- everything vividly. Well, so good for you. Anesthesia affects people I, I woke up from my anesthesia so. from my thumb surgery with uh jen shoving saltines into my mouth because my blood pressure was low and they were like he needs to eat <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of amazing yeah 
Like, I remember bits and pieces from when I woke up, but, like, I wouldn't have a clear enough emotional wherewithal and function yeah. to be able to process something like this on a high level. Yeah. I think mine was maybe because it was combined with such, like, a visceral, like, relief of, like, I could feel my arm again. Your arm wasn't compressed anymore? Yeah. So I think that might have, like, aided in my clarity of the, in that in those moments. So I fell asleep soon afterwards, but... Yeah, I don't remember diddly from waking up after my back surgery. Yeah. My hand surgery was even worse, so... What happens next, Lizzie? Uh, Doug and Carol kind of, they get their patient to the ER, and they're, they are, their shift on the health Winnebago has been completed, and their stuff is just sort of unceremoniously dumped, and basically they're just kind of told to fuck off, essentially. By, bye. By, by Gus is the yep. guy's name. Yeah, by Gus. Gus the bus. Yeah. But Doug says he'll keep his mouth shut about the physics book. He's very sweet here. Like, like he's he's very supportive. Yeah. Like she's like, I don't even know if I'm gonna do it. He's like, if I can do it, you can do it. Like he's very supportive and very sweet. So points for Doug. He 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 deserves points when he earns them. Yep. So then we cut from there to uh, Maggie Doyle and Jeannie in the lounge having a little chat. Uh, and I, f- I think it's uh, Doyle who says that uh, you know the the whole situation made makes makes her wish that they could have saved uh, Mrs. Jennings just so that they could save mr jennings from all of the pain which is the sweetest thing i have ever heard yeah yeah i mean it is it's again this is such a tonally like tone deaf kind of storyline yeah talk about the shift to the very next yeah especially since so we go right from there to mark needing to go up to the fifth floor to pronounce someone and susan tags along for some reason i don't remember why uh, I think it's because they made the joke. Like, oh, are you scared to go alone? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to take Susan as yeah, backup. Yeah, so she ends up on the elevator with Mark, and the elevator stalls the minute he and Susan go in. And it's all very, like, ooh, you know, sitcom-y. Uh, but, yeah. So just, again, these these harsh tonal shifts, like, I, I yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's very zigzaggy in that way. And we continue on with the silliness. Uh, Benton should just not be allowed around <laughs> children. He should not be allowed to supervise this, children. Yeah, he should not be allowed to su- supervise children who are not his own. He's great with Reese down the line, but like, oh, no, yeah. yeah, but he should not be allowed to supervise children who are not his own. And that, That's very true. He is very good with Reese. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's kind of, the kids are dragging Benton around the hospital to get more candy. And Benton is clearly, clearly, clearly clearly out of his element and quite frankly so would i be <laughs> right and this is where um one of the kids has to go potty yeah. so he tells the others to stay right by the ner- a nurse's station not in the er but a nurse's station on the floor that they're on he's like stay right here i will be right back and he goes to take the other kid to the bathroom bad move benton so one of them's gotta go they all gotta go babysitting yep. 101 so we'll see how this goes but from there, we go up to the fifth floor, and Mark and Susan go to check on the gentleman to pronounce him, and Mark initially goes and checks on a guy who wakes up, scaring the hell out of Susan. Turns out <laughs> it's the wrong guy. It's like, bet next bed over, Doc. So Mark goes over to the next bed, and they go to the right patient, and Susan's like, oh, did you feel that? I felt the rush of cold wind. And Mark's like, okay. And then, like, as he's checking this patient, he goes, <gasps> and he goes, she goes, see, did you feel it? And he's like, no, I'm just messing with you. And then, like, three seconds later, he does it again, and she goes, did you feel it? And he's, and then it cuts away before he says yes or no, but he's clearly just fucking with her, which is great. Like, I love, again, they're going back to their friend stuff here for a minute, and it's really cute. And then um, Carter and Dr. Keaton have a second where they're talking about Tina and how, um, you know, she just knew about her dad and... Dr. Keaton says, you know, like, kids are smart like that. They can just sense that stuff. And Carter talks about how when his brother died of leukemia when he was younger, how he was riding his bike and felt it right away and just knew that his brother had passed. And um, Dr. Keaton's like, well, maybe that's why you're so good with kids. So nice emotional connection and a little bit of bonding between the two of them. And then we go back and the children are not where Benton has left them at the nurse's station. Um, the nurse is like, I was doing paperwork. I don't, I didn't see where they went. Uh, but after that, we go over to, uh, the Halloween party, which we have a bunch of audio for you here. Uh, two things about this. One, Yvette Freeman, amazing voice. National treasure. Also real, also didn't realize that she like, she like actually has albums Mm -hmm. out. 
fucking good for her. And also, I would like to apologize. There is a there is a uh, slur in here that is used to disparage Romani people, so that is repeated a couple times in the uh, song lyrics. In the song lyrics, so it's not used derogatory in this way, but just FYI. And uh, also, when you're going around, Aunt Spaz dresses as a soldier and carries Pippi Longstocking. I'm thinking she's Pippi Longstocking just based on how the wig is. I couldn't think of any other character that she might have been with that hairdo. Hmm. So I don't know. But that was my best guess. So yeah. So let's listen to the, the dulcet tones of Yvette Freeman. <laughs> She sells little bottles of love potion number nine. I told her that I was a clock with Melly. We are just like the fake of it. Oh, it sounds bad. But Normie mixed these uh, desert cocktails, equal parts potassium, sodium with a lemon chaser. <laughs> there she is, just sucking up to him a little bit more. Disparaging me, belittling me, tightening her grip on that tenure slot. What's the problem? She's just making everything so competitive. You're a doctor, you love competition. You're just getting a little obsessed. I am not. All right, a little myopic then. What? <sighs> Your wife divorced you. You hardly see Rachel. This job is all you care about. I just spent a week where no one was stabbing anyone in the back. I could just drop everything, take a nice little walk with Susie. The big decision of the day was like, what to have for lunch. There's other stuff out there, Mark. I know you don't have it now. I just hate to see you get so caught up in that. I'm sorry, I couldn't listen to the dialogue. I was too busy enjoying <laughs> Yvette Freeman. Yeah, she really steals the scene there. But yeah, how do we feel about um, Susan pointing out how myopic uh, Mark has gotten with his career lately? He has. Yeah, she's she's a hundred percent right. I mean, yeah. that's why I asked. It's uh, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a character trait that really sits well with Mark Green, the character. I don't think. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I think I think it's really important that they set this up here because it's showing how her perspective has shifted. Yes. Yeah. That that was and that was really... my takeaway. One hundred percent. I was like, man, yeah. they really do a good job of showing you she really has one foot out the door. Like, yeah. yeah. They they set it up nicely for her leaving soon. So we cut out from there to uh, Benton hunting for the kids, and he does manage to find them all in one group. They're in the ER. Uh, and he does his best, like, boomer, like, back in my day, we had to do tricks for our treats, and yada, and so they challenge him to do a headstand, uh, which he does, like, to full effect, like, props to Eric LaSalle for that, I mean, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you know that I, I posted this clip, uh, probably a week or two ago now, as you're hearing this, um, just because, like, I was legitimately curious. Like, could Eric LaSalle still pull this off 24 years later? I have not gotten a response yet, but I'm holding out hope. So, you know. Because <laughs> I, I I have to know. Because he's it's a legit, he- like, headstand. Like, I, I, I do believe that they say, oh, yeah, what trick can you do? And then he just pulls the handstand yeah. out of his hat. Like, that's just what I he mean, comes the only up thing with. I can yeah. s- the only thing I can see when he's doing it is, like, it might be a little bit of clever editing that he, like, gets up and then immediately goes back down and they just through using other pov shots they managed to extend his headstand a little bit um mm. but but i think it's, it's him really, really doing it though. yeah so good kudos to him uh and then we come back and we go over to uh, doc magoo's uh we have our last audio for you it's genie sitting there and uh, going over the mortgage paperwork with al hey I'm sorry i'm late <laughs> they say those trains run every 10 minutes but i don't believe it. you never change do you uh what? One unbelievable excuse after another. Look, I said I'm sorry. Of course, I never changed either. Just hang in there, Jeannie. Carry this marriage by yourself. Don't think about where he is tonight, who he's with tonight. Jeannie, what's wrong? <laughs> A man came in today and sat there and watched his wife die. And he helped her to die because she was in so much pain. And he loved her. 
we didn't have that kind of marriage, did we, Al? We didn't love, we didn't cherish, we didn't respect. And now you've killed me. Yeah, has there been has has there been an episode uh, this season where we haven't said goddamn Gloria Rubin? Like she has fired on no. all cylinders this entire season so far. It's been incredible. Even in an episode like this, which is primarily like funny and lighthearted, she still manages to have a killer scene where it's like, damn. Ugh, like, oh my god, come on. Ugh. It's so good. She just the and now you've yeah, killed me. That that line alone, it's like uh, so good please tell me she won awards for i this think season. Um, don't quote me on this but i think this is the season that they went like oh for 17 like they got nominated for like everything and won nothing i think i'm not sure we'll we'll see when we get to the wrap-up you know 20 weeks from now or whatever but like i think i think this might be the one where they went over but then from there again a complete 180 uh, we go to Mark and Susan back at the party, and at the same time, they both ask to dance with each other very awkwardly. And they're both like, oh, well, only if you want to. Well, you might be too tired. Well, I guess we could. It just goes back and forth. And finally, it's like, just fucking dance. And so they, they get out on the dance floor, and they slow dance together very uncomfortably. <laughs> they don't leave room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but there's, and even with that, it's still the most unsexy slow dancing ever. There's no chemistry in this dance at all. But it's not quite eighth grade dance It's not much awkward. better. It's not like we dance, it's not like we dance in our kitchen. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, so it's just, the episode ends with them dancing together, and Halle, again, killing it with her performance, and... Yvette Freeman just nailing it. Yeah. What do we think about this episode, gang? Tonally inconsistent, but otherwise excellent. Yeah. I think that's yeah. probably the best way to put like, it. Yeah. It's a I think sim- B+. It's a sim- yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a similar issue I've had with a lot of other episodes is that had they stacked up some more of the funny stuff and some of like the little more dramatic stuff, like if they would have stacked up the, uh, the Jennings storyline uh against like the health mobile or something a little bit more so something like not a little bit more mid-range in the tone area mm-hmm. versus like having it seem to like kind of always cut to the ghost stories yeah. with yeah. them then i think i w- then i think it would have been a little bit better um or maybe if they had just like put that storyline in a different episode entirely yeah because like it's a great storyline and i think it's very uh, i think it's necessary for genie's character to finally like have some wake up juice in terms of like what you <laughs> know just how bad just how bad things were with uh with her now but yeah. the, the episode is like it's it's lesser than the sum of its parts you know like the each individual aspect yeah. of the episode is i think incredible like the the like you said the Jennings storyline is really good and in any other episode it would stand out um and the healthmobile stuff is really good really funny like it it really funny like that that almost to me is like your bridge storyline where it kind of it marries the two a little bit like you get some funny stuff and you get a little bit of dramatic stuff in there too and then all of the halloween stuff is actually really good like and i don't typically like the really heavily themed stuff like where it's like we're gonna bash you over the head with the fact that it's christmas or that it's halloween or that whatever you know and i typically don't like that but something about the way they do it in this episode they it might just be that they really lean into it because it it works and i really really like it and so like you take those three parts individually and each one i think is a b plus a minus um part of the episode but for some reason, when you put them all together, they don't add up to a B plus A minus episode. It adds up to like a B. I think it's because of how they edit it. I think if they had adjusted the pacing just a little mm-hmm. bit, I think that would have made a big difference. Like you said, like the parts are all there. It's just the configuration that ends yeah. up messy. It, it reminded me a lot of that Thanksgiving episode from season one where there were so many tonal shifts. Mm. Like guy jumps off the roof, they pluck a turkey. Like it was like, whoa, like I've got whiplash here. Like let's maybe like like lizzie said let's just like tone you know round off some of these edges a little bit here with some of these pivots correction gal jumps off true you're right i forgot which episode that was we were talking about but person jumps off the roof and they immediately cut to a turkey being plucked like that is you know yeah (laughs) i'm sorry the turkey visual just popped back (laughs) in my head the one good thing tag was really yeah okay, really was really tags for. enduring legacy is him plucking the turkey in the background like that i think is his entire legacy as a character 
but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's like I said, it's three A plus potentially A plus storylines that combine to form a like solid B episode. So yeah, yeah. But I, I still don't think. I mean, we're five yep. episodes deep. I still don't think we've had a bad episode yet this season. We're no. only five episodes into season three. Oh my god. Yeah, we're only five episodes deep, and I don't think we're we're five for five on at least decent. So yeah, pretty pretty good ratio yeah. so far. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to full-season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music today is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? I'm switching it up this week because of my Twitter hiatus. And folks can find me on my Instagram at lobo92345 or if you're into baking or just want to see the dumb stuff I try to make, you can follow my baking Instagram, Lolo's Loaves. Good luck trying to find it with that pronunciation. L O L O S Loaves. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not exactly difficult, kiddo. Uh, I can't fucking talk today. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. That's J A M three R, as well as on the Popular Courts YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda with new episodes out every Friday. You can find those videos and more at youtube.com/slash/thepopularcourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.